Hi, every. Can you hear me? Is it good? Okay. Hi. Welcome to Central City. Um, I'm so glad that you're here. It's a full house today. That's really, really fun. So, um, yeah, my name is Liz Sanchez, and I'm just going to be sharing a little bit of what God has been doing in my life and how um, his pursuit and love um, for me and us is um, just so present. And um, yeah, so I just want to talk a little bit. Um, so I met Jesus when I was a junior in high school. Um, no one in my family knows the Lord, so it was really cool to have, um, yeah, have Jesus come into my life and have the support of um, the Young Life community in high school and in college. Um, but something I want to talk about today is more about just the present and how I've seen God's faithfulness here um, right now in just this new season of life, just graduating from um, college last year. Um, but something I want to focus on is just the unexpected and what it means to surrender and what's that, what that has looked like um, for me just in this past year. Um, so something just real quick about um, my past. So um, kind of one big event that happened in my life was in eighth grade, my dad actually um, left our family. Um, but something that I want to talk about is it's cool because I have a really, really good relationship with him now. And so it's a redemptive story. And it was really sweet to see how before I even knew Jesus, um, God showed up and allowed me to learn what surrender looked like back then of like just giving him control, um, still loving my dad, forgiving him, having grace for him. Um, so, and I mean, it's really nice that I get to be close with him now still. Um, but that's just so cool to be able to reflect on the past. But I think it's really important too to just be aware of what God's doing in our life right now um, and just be um, thankful for that and seeing how God's love pursues us always. Um, so it's really cool because one of the big unexpected things was moving to Columbus. I didn't plan for that. When I graduated college, um, I was supposed to move to North Carolina for a teaching job, and I didn't do that. I resigned um, from the job, and I just needed to find a different job, and so I found a nonprofit here in Columbus, but that was not expected at all. Um, so it was, it's really cool just to see and know um, God's pursuit of my heart during this time of an unexpectedness. Um, and in this time, I've learned what surrender actually means, because I think in college, I hid behind a ministry, and I didn't really understand too much about what it really means to um, follow Jesus and surrender. So um, just a couple of things that I've just learned in this time. Surrender is really, really hard. And um, you know, accepting that we are loved by God is something that, um, you know, it's I love it, but I think in, in a way, just surrendering it all and surrendering the insecurities that we have about ourselves, I think that's something that I've been learning a lot now. Um, so just some things. I'm God's love has taught me that I don't need to compare myself to others, and I know that it's okay to not have the same path as everyone else around me. Um, in my whole journey with Christ, I was worried a lot. I'm still worried a lot about things, and I run a lot from people, from hurt, um, but I think it's awesome in this time of surrender and learning what that actually means. Um, I've let go of these high standards and expectations I hold on myself and on others. Um, 
God's love has changed my heart and allowed me to surrender the lies that I might not be good enough or pretty enough. Um, I got to like, I've been letting go of lies that um, I'm not, uh, I'm not lovable, um, that I don't know enough, that I'm not brave enough or confident enough. Um, and I've got to let go of this control that I've always had on my life. Um, and once again, with that, surrender is really hard, but I think it's a beautiful thing when we don't have to hold on um, to this control of our lives and have to have everything figured out. And so it's been an ongoing journey since junior year of high school. Um, and with that, I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I don't know why I'm in Columbus. Um, I think there's a lot of people that could say that. Um, I don't know why certain things are the way they are, but it's amazing being able to see God's faithfulness and seeing how when we surrender completely to him, um, even though that's an ongoing thing day by day, it's beautiful to see how he shows up. Um, yeah, God is here, and he's changing our hearts and my heart every single day. Um, in the hiddenness, he was there. Um, in the quietness, I felt living alone in my apartment this past year, um, he was there. In the tears that I have cried only just a couple times, that's a lie because I've cried a lot more than that. But um, and in the unknown and in the unexpected, um, God's here and He's present. And when we surrender, we're able just to come to Him, um, you know, without having to be all put together. We get to just fall at His feet, and that's amazing. Um, I'm really good at pushing people away and running um, from people, from hurt, from fear, from God sometimes. But um, there's a purpose of why I'm here in this city, in this church, in this small community. And I think a beautiful thing is knowing that I've learned what surrender actually means. I've gotten to reconstruct what my relationship with Jesus actually means, and I'm able to be known. And so I'm thankful to see God showing up here at this church and showing up just in this city, even though it was so unexpected and not my plan at all. But I think that's the beautiful thing about God and how he works and, you know, just surrendering what we think we know and just giving it to God who is the Lord of all things and a really good, good God. So thank you. Thanks, Liz. Um, we're in a new series uh, called uh, on evangelism. And so one of the things we're doing, uh, we're start, we, we haven't done this before, is every week uh, in this series. And I'm hoping moving forward, we're just having people come and share their faith story, how they want to, uh, what's going on, what God's doing, the questions they have, just like vulnerably, you know, just talk about what's going on in their life. So we have people lined up for this whole series, but we hope to continue it. So if you've ever been willing, interested in taking four to five minutes and share, um, we'd love for you to do that. I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but my name is Joe, and I'm one of the pastors here at Central City, and uh, it's, a, it's a joy to be with you. Uh, we're starting a new series, um, and I, I, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm honestly a little nervous. Um, I also am a little, feel a little vulnerable um, about the series. We're talking about evangelism, and, and we've got a tough... Um, We've got this hard thing that we have to do with evangelism. Evangelism doesn't come to us without meaning, without context. Um, in our American Christianity, uh, to be evangelical, not necessarily a compliment right now. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on with that, and it means something. You say, I'm evangelical, that people are like, well, okay, well, I know everything I need to know about you then. Um, and evangelism has that kind of baggage as well. In fact, we're going to look at some studies next week um, that Barna did on evangelism in the American church. And what they're finding is that young 
people, especially young, specifically young Christians, who on the one hand say Jesus is the most important thing in my life, also say, I'm not so sure sharing my faith is, is a good thing. In fact, some are like, no, it's wrong. You shouldn't share your faith, faith with people with the intent to convert them. So there's this really sort of broken relationship with the church and American Christianity and evangelicalism and evangelism, and we're gonna just going to you know, spend six weeks on it, so no big deal. Um, ultimately, though, this thing, evangelism, uh, at the heart of it is good news, and yet for many it's kind of like become bad news. Stuff, it's just not what it should be. I don't know about you, but I have a little bit of baggage around evangelism. And it all started when I was pretty young in my faith. And I, I took my faith very seriously. Uh, I still do. I'm not saying I don't, but I took my faith very seriously. And evangelism was a big part of my faith experience. I was kind of raised in the 1950s version of Christianity, organizations like Campus Crusade, Youth for Christ, Billy Graham, you know. And there's a particular vision for evangelism in that, that context. And that's what I was raised in. And one instance in particular really kind of has some baggage with me I want to share with you. I was dating this girl, and her mom worked at a nursing home. I've shared this story, uh, I believe, in, in various settings, so you maybe have heard parts of it. But her mom worked in the nursing home, and they were looking for volunteers to take uh, individuals from the nursing home to, you know, down the street to the county fair. So that, that's what was, well, they just wanted volunteers. And I, I, you know, I was a Christian at this point. I was taking my faith seriously, volunteering. I hear is a good thing. So I said, I'll sign me up. And a bunch of our friends went and did this. And it was kind of a, it was kind of a cool thing. In fact, I haven't done anything quite like it since. But we went to the nursing home. We were assigned somebody, and I was assigned Henry. Henry was in a wheelchair. I pushed Henry out the nursing home two blocks down the street to little Defiance County Fair in Hicksville, Ohio. It's a real place. I was just there this weekend. It's a, it's a proper noun, not an adjective. Hicksville, Ohio, county fair. And I, I push Henry around the, the, the circuit uh, with all of the fair things, and we push him back in this whole group of people. And he wasn't very talkative. He was very old. And, um, you know, I, I was a son of a pastor, and so I, I had gone to the nursing home before. You know, I'd, like, visited people with my dad. I was dragged along and didn't want to do it. Um, it's a strange place. Uh, smells funny. You know, it's just not, not a normal place. And I had gone a couple times, and I didn't know it at this point, but I was being called to be a pastor. I wasn't aware of it. I wasn't but I was being called to be a pastor. My first church had a lot of people who were in the nursing home or homebound, and it became a big part of my ministry. Uh, at least the church expected it of me. And um, so I just felt compelled to go visit Henry. Can you imagine, though, high school kid sort of exploring faith for the first time, and I'm going to I show up to the nursing home and ask for Henry. I don't know if I knew his last name. I probably didn't. And uh, I find Henry. I'm not a relative he probably couldn't even get his grandkids to show You know, like, I'm just this high school kid. I show up to the nursing home. I find Henry. I sit down with Henry. And I do this more than once. I don't know what my problem is. It's a very strange thing that I think about it. And I sit down with Henry. And I learned a couple of things about Henry. I, heard, I learned that he was raised Catholic and that he was an alcohol salesman most of his life. Now, this tells you everything about my faith experience at this point. Um, I walked away from that conversation. I just assumed he wasn't a Christian, you know. Uh, specifically, the alcohol salesman. How could you be a Christian if you sold alcohol? It's not my view anymore, by the way, friends. Um, but, um, and then even the Catholic thing, in the, my particular evangelical culture, you know, like, well, that raises questions. Maybe he doesn't know who Jesus is because he's Catholic. That's not where I'm at now. I'm just saying that this, is, this was my experience. This is, uh, and so I felt, I felt compelled to visit Henry, but now all of a sudden I felt this intense burden 
to tell Henry the gospel. And what I mean by that is evangelism in this sort of context of like, no, you have this succinct conversation. There's a beginning and the end. And at the end of the conversation, the person accepts Jesus Christ and they're no longer going to hell. And that's what I, I was like, this needs to happen with Henry. In fact, I'm very good at pulling together narratives and finding meaning where sometimes there isn't any. And I pulled together this beautiful narrative of how God had brought me to Henry in his final days so that he might not end up in hell. This is, can you imagine a high schooler processing this, right? This is, this is dangerous. It was very dangerous. It was too much. It was too much for me to carry. It was too much for me to and so I continue to feel compelled to, to go visit Henry, which in its own right was a beautiful, it was a beautiful compelling to just go visit this guy. I don't know if other people were visiting him or not. I didn't know anything about him, but I just felt compelled. That's a good thing. But I decided not to. I couldn't because this pressure was too great. I couldn't share, I'm not going to share the gospel with this guy. And I felt like God wanted me to share it. And, like I, and I was here for the, So I didn't for weeks. Finally, um, enough time passed. I got over it. Um, I mean, I would drive by, and I'd be like, I should stop and see Henry. I'm not going to do it. I would think about Henry. I, I just couldn't. It was too much pressure. And eventually, I got over that, and I went and visited Henry. I went to his room, and of course, you know how the story goes. The room's empty. He's not, he's not there. Talked to a nurse. He's passed away. I was very old. Once again, high school kid processing this, right? And I was sent to him, you know, to keep him from going to hell. For the next 20 years of my life, I had this baggage around evangelism. Didn't want to do it. I I didn't want to talk to strangers. I didn't want to have that kind of a conversation. I didn't like it. You bring it up, and I get stressed out. I'm brought back to my little high school self. It's too much pressure. I can't handle this. You know, in all of that, I assumed that that pressure, that pressure, that expectation was from God. The Holy Spirit convicting me, making me do it. I didn't want to do it. I was resisting the Holy Spirit, all of that. Until we decided to plant a church. Now, all of a sudden, I don't know this, but, you know, reaching new people is kind of a big part of planting a church. And um, I don't know if you know this as well, but we're kind of bad at it, um, and probably because I'm one of your pastors. And I start processing evangelism again. How do I do this? How do I do it in a way that's healthier? What did I do wrong? All along, I'm not thinking about Henry. I push Henry down. You ask me the question, why I get stressed out about evangelism, Henry comes to mind, but just long enough for me to shove Henry away. I don't want to think about it. It's too much, right? This is some baggage I'm carrying around. So we decide we're going to do a series on evangelism. It's something we should probably talk about. It's something we should probably reclaim, reimagine, relearn. It's something we should figure out how to do in our context with, in a way that you're comfortable, in a way that's life-giving, in a way that God leads you, you know. So now all of a sudden I need to, I need to wrestle with this. I need to get my skeletons out of the closet. I need to, I need to spend some time with it. And, and, and I realized something. In all of this pressure that I had felt that I had carried this baggage with for 20 years of my life, I, um, I never actually asked God's opinion on it. Seems kind of strange, but I just kind of assumed that this pressure was from God. But now I'm slightly, just a little bit more mature. And I said, you know, I should probably talk to God about this. And so I do. I go to God and I'm like, hey, God, what's, what is this? I have to preach on evangelism. I should probably work through this. <laughs> you know, it's not coming up in two months. I've got it on the calendar. It's going to happen. I need to work through this. What's your thoughts? And God said something 
to me. And, you know, I've, I feel like at times God speaks to me. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I, I, I've, I've heard the voice of God um, in my life in subtle ways. And it's not audible, but it just it, it speaks. God speaks to me. And uh, I heard I just felt like God was like, hey, Joe. Like you're not responsible for, for, for the, the eternal destiny of Henry or anyone else. You're not responsible for what other people believe. You're not responsible for what they do with their life. You're not responsible. And you can imagine how that felt. And a light clicked on. In my life, I, I realized, you know, all this time I had kind of assumed that this pressure, this expectation, this burden too great to bear was God. God wanted me to do this. And it almost felt like God was like, Joe, you really think that the one thing that's keeping you from sharing your faith with other people, which is something I'd like for you to do, Joe, that one thing that's keeping you from doing it, that's me, that I'm, I'm putting this pressure on you, even though it's having the exact opposite effect of what I would want to accomplish. And then I just realized this isn't God at all. God's not disappointed in me. God's not upset with me. God isn't putting on some sort of pressure that I can't handle. And friends, this is, this is actually real. This is, put evangelism aside, take something that you've put too much pressure on yourself, too much expectation, you've taken on too much responsibility. Maybe it's parenting, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's work. You just, you feel like you have to control everything and you can't figure it out. And then go actually go and ask God, how does God feel about it? And if you're listening to God, I'm going to suggest that most likely God's going to be like, you're, you're trying to take on too much. So you just, look, we're human. And God's doing all kinds of stuff that I don't fully understand. The wind blows where it wants to blow. I don't understand how it works. But our role in all of this is a human role. We're human. So give yourself a break. Here's what happens in evangelism. You know, it's like giving someone a Coke. It's, it's, it starts out as, you know, it's a good thing. Maybe you don't like Coke. Maybe you're a Pepsi person or a heretic, whatever. I don't know. But, you know, it starts out, it's a good thing. You're going to give it to someone. That's the, that's the essence of good news. You're like, I got something good. You might want it. I'll offer it to you. That's the, that's the most basic. We're going to build on that here in a little bit. We're going to get real abstract in a little bit. I might lose some of you. I don't know. But it starts out really simple. But we're like, we, make, we put all of this unhealthy motivation and pressure into it. It's like shaking the Coke up before we give it to someone, you know? It's like, oh, no, I have to, this person's going to hell. Or, like, I have to do this, like, right now. I have to go talk to this person right now, and we just shake it up. And we're like, I have to, you know, like, I should be talking to a stranger every day, and I should do this, and, and I have to memorize the, the you know, the, the Roman road, and we do that, and, like, why don't I have more chick tracks? Did anyone know what I'm talking about? Boy, those are scary. Google it. Whew. That's a but it's like you add all of this pressure, and then we go to camp or a mission trip, and we're like, here, I've built up all of this pressure. I can't contain it anymore. And I'm like, i got to share my faith. Something about that's wrong. Here's what we want to do with this series. We've got all this pressure. I don't know if you do. Maybe you don't. I do. Baggage. I'm guessing, based on statistics, that you're like, you know what? Evangelism isn't your favorite thing to do for the most Christians. There might be one or two in here who's like, no, I love it. Most of us, we've got some baggage. We've got some hesitation. We're like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. There's a little bit of something off. What I want to do this series is just, you know, really slowly over the next couple of weeks, just go just a little bit. You know what? Maybe it's not about memorizing six verses from Romans. Maybe it starts by getting to know someone and hearing their story. You know, just release a little bit of pressure. Maybe it's not about 
always talking to a stranger. Maybe it is. Maybe the Holy Spirit leads you to talk to a stranger, but maybe it's just getting to know your neighbors, inviting them over for a cookout. Just, you know, that doesn't sound so bad. Maybe it's as simple as like listening to the voice of God, and as God leads you, you, you do it, and you don't, you don't beat yourself up when you fall short. Maybe it's not about making fun of other perspectives or trying to convince someone that you're right. Maybe it's not trying to convince someone of anything. That doesn't sound so bad. And hopefully, if you're anything like me, over the next couple of weeks, we can relieve some of the pressure. And it's not as messy. And it can be, you know, a good thing. Now my goal is to not burp. That's what we're going to do in this series. This is where we're headed. Put up that island. Today we're going to try to redefine uh, evangelism a little bit. Um, we're not going to get very far, but I'm going to share some thoughts with you, some, um, I think some complicated stuff that will hopefully be a good foundation as we move forward. Next week we're going to talk about uh, what it means to listen. We're going to spend some time talking about our culture and specifically listening to two things. I think the key to evangelism is, one, listening to God first, and second, listening to our neighbor. It's a lot less listening to your own voice, but learning to listen. Week three, we're going to talk about the art of neighboring. Uh, what does it mean to just be a good neighbor to your actual neighbors, and how does that play into evangelism? Baron's going to be sharing that now right here. Excited. Um, four, we're going to talk about the gospel basics. When we talk about the good news, the gospel, what are we talking about? What's the basics of that? So we'll walk away with hopefully some solid understanding of what the good news is and maybe how we can uh, live it out. Um, week five, we're going to spend a whole week on honoring other faiths. This is a question we got. We put a survey out, asked what people would be interested in hearing um, a lot of questions came up in that sermon survey around evangelism. Uh, so that's why we're here, friends, because you asked for it. Um, and then someone specifically asked, how do I share my faith with other people, especially those from other religions, in a way that honors and respects them? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to spend a whole week on it. And then the last week, we're going to talk about taking the leap. Because here's the thing. We don't want to relieve the pressure and redefine or reimagine because evangelism isn't important. It actually is really important. Uh, and, and this is what's forced me back to the table over and over again. I'm convinced, God has convinced me that I cannot accomplish God's call on my life. And this might not be the case for you, but I can't accomplish God's call on my life if I'm not engaging in evangelism. And I would suggest that we as a church cannot accomplish God's call on our church if we as a church don't embrace evangelism. Now, we've got we to redefine it. We've got to reimagine it because there's some baggage around it. But we have to reclaim it in some way. And so we're going to take the leap. We're going to talk about what it means to actually just start sharing our faith with other people. That's where we're headed. Today, we're going to start by spending some time uh, just defining evangelism. So we're not going to be looking at a particular passage of Scripture, um, but we are going to spend some time redefining it. Before we do that, I want to take a second and invite you, uh, like what I've done, to, uh, before we can reconstruct evangelism, we got to deconstruct it a little bit. So here's a couple of questions I want you to ponder. Now, you have in your seat a blank piece of paper, hopefully a pen. I want you to pull that out. I want you to come up with your worst definition for evangelism. Your worst definition. This is not a good definition. And here's some questions that can kind of help you come up with this. So one is, how have you seen it done wrong? You know, evangelism. Surely you've seen evangelism or some form of it uh, done wrong. Uh, what do you hate about it? Maybe you don't hate it. Uh, maybe you think it's great. But maybe there's some part of you or, or some of you in the room, you're like, there's something about evangelism I just don't like. What is that? Name it. Put a word. Put a phrase. Uh, do you have any baggage around it? Maybe it's not as significant as mine, but, but have you, in any part of your faith walk, felt like you failed at evangelism? What does that look like? 
What ways do you feel like you've failed at evangelism? And how do, you, uh, how do other people see it that seems off? So what other perspectives of evangelism that you disagree with? I encourage you don't have to answer all of these. These are just to help you get thinking. But just come up with a simple bad definition for evangelism or a few phrases or words that help articulate what you feel like maybe has gone wrong. Take a second and do that. See a lot of you still writing. Give you a second here. Get it out. <coughs> just curious, is there anyone else in the room that has like, a, and I'm not going to ask you a story, I'm just raise your hand if you're one of, where you have like a story, you're like, no, this kind of summarizes I, I, went, I was expected to do evangelism or someone shared their faith with me and it was awkward, but do, do any of you have a story that was kind of the defining that shaped your picture of evangelism? A few of you? All right, here's what I want you to do. I know you, some of you are still writing. You can do this as you feel led, but here's what I want you to do. You've listed out some things that maybe aren't super healthy or that you, you're like, this seems off. Um, I want us to just, this, I want this series to just be a clean slate for me, clean slate for you. So go ahead and tear that up. Take that piece of paper, the words that you've written on it, tear it up into as many pieces as you can. Yeah, tear it up. Some of you are like, no, there might be some good stuff on here. It's okay. Well, you know, God can bring it back. Uh, we serve a God of resurrection. Um, but uh, tear it up and uh, go ahead and throw it on the ground. It's okay. See, man, throw it on the ground. You can kind of rub it into the ground. If you want to spit on it, you can do that, you know, wherever you're at. But get rid of it. Uh, smash it out. Don't hold on to it. Get rid of it. Take a deep breath. Okay. Are you ready? Let's do this. Here's what the Bible says about evangelism. We're going to just lay a very, um, uh, we're just going to lay a foundation today. We're not going to get into a lot of practical stuff. We're just going to lay a foundation. And here, here, here's what it is. First thing you need to know is that the word evangelism and the word uh, evangelist and the word gospel, these are all kind of churchy words, aren't they? Have you ever heard someone refer to an evangelist or evangelism or gospel and not be referring to something regarding church? Okay, no, it's a churchy word. Here's the reality is these words were not church words when they were first used in the New Testament. They weren't. They were political words. They were used in the Roman Empire, they were used in the Greek Empire, and they had a particular role. 
Here's, here's what it means in the Greek. They're all, they're, all from the same, um, they're all from the same Greek word. We'll put this up on the screen. It's euangelion. Um, of course, you know, uh, angelion, that looks like something you might be familiar with. I mean, it's where we get the word angel. It means messenger. Angel didn't necessarily, we translated angel. It sounds more supernatural, but the original Greek word uh, would have just been messenger. And it doesn't necessarily mean a, a supernatural messenger, but the angels would be supernatural mes- messengers, but it just meant messenger. You add the prefix you onto it, it means good, and it's the basic definition of all three of these words. The gospel is the message itself. It's this good news. The evangelist is the person who brings this good news. And evangelism is the act of sharing good news. Once again, these words have such religious meaning in our context that we can't even separate the religious context from the original word meaning. So let me help you, though. These words were political words. They were a particular role in the Roman and Greek empire, The evangelist was a bad way to explain it, but it's the best I can do. It would be kind of like the press secretary of the king. The evangelist had a particular job in regards to sharing news, but it was always good news, the kind of news that would be worthy of a parade. So if a king was born and they wanted to go out and tell the empire that the king had been born, good news. It would be that kind of message. Or if a king is crowned, like a new king had finally been crowned. You know, the kind of stuff that like BBC does like an entire day, you know, thing on, like royal wedding, that sort of thing. That's the context of this, a royal pronouncement about something exciting happening in the empire and the kingdom, you know, that sort of thing. So a child is born, a king is crowned, or, or a, a victory. You know, there was some battle going on in some distant land, and they win. So the early church, they decided to use this word, when they realize that this is basically what they're doing. They're going out and they're telling people a particular story. And the story is found in four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, these four books have been from the beginning called what? The four gospels. Euangelion, it's the same sort of Greek word, uh, good news. And these stories are the stories of what? They're the stories of a king is born. We celebrate every December, best season of the year my humble opinion. A king is crowned, celebrated every Easter. And a king has declared victory, celebrated every time someone finds freedom in Christ. A child is born, a king is crowned, a king declares victory. Sit there for a second. The reality is, is that many, many kings and dictators and presidents and generals have been born, have been crowned, they've been given power over people. And they've even declared victory in wars. But it doesn't necessarily make them good news. Maybe it's good news for that kingdom, but it's not the kind of good news we're talking about. See, what makes it good news is not just that a child was born, God in the flesh, the person of Jesus Christ, And it's not just that this Jesus grew up and was eventually crowned king of the Jews and king of kings. And it's not just that Jesus declares victory over a particular kind of battle. What makes it good news is the story around Jesus' birth, the story around Jesus' crowning, and the story around the victory that Jesus claims. So let me tell you the story. We know the story. First, Jesus, he's not born to a royal family or in a palace. His delivery room is a stable. There's no room in the inn, you know the story. There's no room in the house where the family's staying. 
So he's, he's, he's born in a stable. And he's born into poverty. And before he even has the ability to remember what's going on, he becomes a refugee. Has to flee to Egypt because they're trying to kill him. What a birth story for a king. Sounds terrible. But it's almost like God's saying, yeah, this child, this king is born, but he's going to be king of the type of people that he's born into. So, so we, I'm going to choose to be born into poverty. I'm going to be, choose to become a refugee. I'm going to, this is the world, as if to say, that's the kind of kingdom I've come to establish. And then he's crowned. Whoa, what a story of a crowning. Not in a palace, not on a golden throne, not in the seat of power, not in you know, Rome, but on a cross as a criminal with a crown of thorns. And his coronation ceremony isn't with a bishop or a priest or a prophet. He isn't anointed with oil and people sing his praises. It's a soldier, his enemy, who hung him on the cross and he places a crown of thorns. What does that say about Jesus as king? What kind of king does that tell us Jesus is? Other than one who's able to empathize with our weaknesses, as Hebrew says. As if God says, I'm going to be a king, and I'm going to be born into poverty, I'm going to be raised up, I'm going to die as a criminal, I'm going to be the kind of king for the kind of people who need, you know, who've never had representation, a political way of saying it. I'm going to be, their, I'm going to be that kind of king. And then he says, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm declaring victory, but not victory over some sort of enemy. Jesus isn't the kind of king, and every other king that's ever existed... President, general, whatever, this is how they'll do it. They'll convince you, and don't pretend like this doesn't happen all over, and it has since the beginning of the world. They'll convince you that your neighbor is your enemy. They'll declare victory when then your enemy is wiped off the face of the earth. Happened, Old Testament happens in every, it happens all the time. I'm going to convince you that my neighbor is my enemy, and then I'm going to say that we won when I killed them all. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to convince you that your enemy is actually your neighbor, and I'm going to declare victory when your enemy becomes your friend. And when anyone who is at enemy with each other, even at, when they're enemies of God, victory is when they've been reclaimed and then brought back in. What kind of king does that tell us? And here's the craziest part. Jesus uh, goes on to say as this king, you know, you've got to understand this because if you read the gospels, right, the four gospels, that's what we're talking about, the gospel what does it mean to share it? Jesus, his primary thing that he talks about is what? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about what kind of reign he will have. What does it look like to belong to God's kingdom? And one of the things Jesus says is actually, you know, moments before he's hung on a cross, he explains, well, this is, my kingdom is not of this world. Which is to say, my kingdom is not geographical. You can't travel to this kingdom. You can't be like, well, I don't like the way things are going. I'm going to become Canadian. So you move. You can't do that. It's not geographical. There's no boundaries. There's no border wall. There's no visas. It's this kingdom that's not of this world, so it's not geographical, which means it's anywhere at any time with anyone who wants to claim Jesus as king. That's what we're talking about. You want to, the heart of evangelism is just helping people surrender their lives to Jesus as king. That's all it is. And this kingdom can be anywhere at all places. And what's really interesting about that, because, because it's anywhere, it's often hiding in plain sight. Jesus says it's like a treasure hidden in a field or the meaning of a parable. It's always been there, but you didn't see it and you needed someone to point it out. The great evangelist of the Bible simply pointed out what was in plain sight. Philip, the evangelist, walks next to somebody, felt God tell him to go walk next to somebody. He walks next to him. He notices they're reading out of Isaiah and he's like, hey, let me point out to you what, uh, what you're reading there. You're already reading it. Let me tell you what it means. 
Paul, when he goes to Mars Hill, he walks by this grave and it, or this temple, this uh, idol that says, you know, idol to an unknown God. And he's like, you guys are familiar with this idol to an unknown God. Let me tell you about that. It's been plain sight. You've seen it. Let me explain it to you. And then he's in another community, Paul, one of the great evangelists. And they're all farmers. He doesn't talk about the philosophical concept of a God with an unknown name. He talks about, you know, you guys are familiar with the crops and the fields and you wonder where the rain come from. And you all believe at this time anyways that it's coming from some sort of God. Let me tell you about that God. Just pointing out what's already in front of them, helping them see this kingdom that is already here. So the evangelist becomes the person who says, hey, the kingdom of God is here. You didn't know it, but it's here. And you've probably bumped into it. Like that little bits of good that we see glimpses of in our life. And the kindness of a parent or the compassion that the world gives to those who are suffering sometimes when we see it, the way in which somebody wronged you, but then you were able to be in a relationship and there's forgiveness and these little glimpses. The evangelist comes along and says, hey, wouldn't it be great to live there full time? Let me introduce you to the king of this kingdom. We're going to spend some more time and try to build on this foundation this is kind of some heavy stuff. It's a little bit more abstract. It doesn't translate into, you know, I can, we're not just going to send you out, you know, the street and tell everyone, hey, the king has been born and uh, the king has been crowned and uh, the king declares victory. Um, I'm not suggesting that that's the, you know, we, we're not taking the Roman roads and condensing it into those three. But it's just a foundation. It's a theological way to wrestle with what it means. Um, what is this gospel message? What is this good news? But I do want to end with this simple reflection. Honestly, believe that you can't share something that you haven't experienced. And so the question I want you to wrestle with is simply this. In what ways has the good news been good to you? In what ways has the good news been good to you? I mean, if you can answer that question, you've, you've got your testimony, don't you? In, in what ways have you seen the good news be good in this world? How has it been good to you? Or in my case, like sometimes it's not good to me. <laughs> God makes me do all kinds of stuff I don't appreciate. But I've seen it be good in this world. There are people I have chosen to love who I would have never loved if it wasn't for the good news of Jesus Christ. For the person of Jesus who came and loved those in the margins. For the person of Jesus who came and suffered alongside us. For the person of Jesus who tells me over and over again, that there's victory possible in my life and in others. And because of that, there's people that I've loved that I would never have loved. So how has the good news been good in your life? Not just in your life, but in the life, in the way that you've seen or experienced the world. I'm going to invite Ryan to come up, and we're going to, we're going to sing our closing song here just in a second. But I want to invite you into just a, a brief reflection. How has the good news been good? to you. Let's pray.
Holy Spirit, fall afresh on us today. Continue to help us become the people you've called us to be. Those barriers in our lives that keep us from being fully loved, from being fully present, from being fully engaged in your mission. Lord, help take those barriers away. Lord, convict us in those seasons in our lives where we've spent more of our day and more of our week living as citizens of earth instead of citizens of heaven. Those times that we've engaged in the practices and customs and standards of this world, this nation, of what's expected of people instead of living this radical, love, grace-filled, kingdom-minded world that you've called us into. So help us, Lord. Holy Spirit, fall on us. In your name we pray. Amen.